I do not know what's going to happen, but I do know that God is amazing and awesome. And I do know that this is the church's finest hour, perhaps finest hour in our lifetime. I don't know whether that's going to be a reality or not. But with all that's happening in our world and in our country and in our community, I believe this is the opportunity for the church to rise up and truly be the church, not in boisterous words like, look at us, aren't we special, but just simply to live out our faith and to say, God is still on the throne. All this is happening around me, but God is in me, and he is more powerful than anything happening around me. So this is, uh, this is uh, our, uh, the finest hour for the church, and this is when we rise up and we recognize and realize that God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. So I want to uh, ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, as we get started today to the book of Psalm, Psalm 11. We're going to talk today about God being our foundation. The Lord is our foundation. And it's in times like this and seasons like this that the foundation of everyone's life is being kind of shaken, kind of moved tested, if you will. And that's actually a good thing. We are living in exciting and turbulent times. Times where we go, wow, this is amazing because we can see God do things that we didn't see him do when everything seemed to be running smoothly. But it's turbulent times. And it's in those turbulent times that we find out, does the anchor hold? Is our foundation sure and secure? Given all the things that are happening in our community, we are discovering, is our foundation a secure foundation? Words that can be used to describe the season that we have been in and still actually are, are like confusion, bewilderment, and wonder. And when we begin to use those words to describe the season that we're in, confusion, bewilderment, and wonder... The imagination kicks into overdrive. And if by chance your imagination is being fueled by the opinion media, I think you may be in trouble. We, don't ha- we no longer have news media. We only have opinion media. The opinion media has no interest in the truth. But what they want is two things, for you to listen longer and for them to make more money. Yes, I knew I'd get an amen for that one. (laughs) It's the reality of what we're dealing with. So where are we going to come to a place of security and a place, I want to use the word comfort, but where where do we find that? Where, Where can we rest in assurance that we have a foundation that is secure? In Psalm number 11, we find here that David is uh, writing this psalm. It is a psalm that he wrote, and we find that it is about the Lord being our foundation. Let's start here with verse number one, and we're going to walk through this psalm. It's seven verses. Psalm 11, verse one. He starts off, and he says, In the Lord I take refuge. He says it's in the Lord. He didn't say, I just kind of want to be around him. I kind of want to sort of associate. He said, no, in the Lord, 
I take refuge. He made this as a bold proclamation and statement. I would ask you, have you made that proclamation about your life? Is that your proclamation? In the Lord, I'm taking refuge. I don't know what's going to happen around me. I don't know all the details. I don't know what 2021 is going to to transpire into, but I do know this, in the Lord, I take refuge. It is a bold statement. But he uses this as the preamble, if you will, to something very interesting found in the next couple verses. He then, he says, in the Lord, I take refuge. How then can you say to me? So in other words, he's giving a response to some advice that's being given to him, some observations that people have made, and they're now telling David. And they start off there at the end of verse 1 with action. They want him to immediately take action. He says, they say, flee like a bird to your mountain. We don't, we, don't, we don't even tell you what's going on yet, but what we're doing is telling you to take action, and we're telling you what to do. Flee, move, get out of here. And then they say, why? It says, for look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. And then the next one is where they bring this to their conclusion. And they say in verse number three, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Interesting. Take action. Here's why. This is the conclusion that we've come to. It's a rhetorical question. We, we, we understand some things are being destroyed. We understand some foundations are being shaken. And so then what can the righteous do? It's almost a kind of helplessness. How can we fight against an enemy that's shooting from the shadows? They won't even come out into the light. They won't come out into the truth. They're shooting from the shadows. What, I mean, what can we even do about that? And David comes back in the very next verse, and he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. We'll get to that in a moment. If the foundations are being shaken and destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what foundations are we really talking about? You know, one of the, one of the stories that Jesus uh, told, it's a parable, and we know it, we like it, we teach it to the children in Sunday school and kids' church, and what is it? He says, what, the wise man builds his house on the rock. He is the one who hears these sayings of mine and puts them into practice. He's like a man that builds his house on the rock so that when the wind blows, the storm rages against his house, it stands. He said, but the foolish man does the opposite. He hears these sayings of mine, but he doesn't put them into practice. He's like a man that builds his house or his life on sand. And the same wind blows on that house, the same rain beats on that house, but that house falls because its foundation is faulty. So there are some foundations that need to be shaken and need to fall, whatever is not built on the habit of fulfilling God's promises by being obedient to Him. When we're not obedient to Him, we're building on a shifting soft foundation. 
And those foundations will always crumble. We will experience the storms of life. But we must ask the question, is it always 100% rock or 100% sand? Now, it certainly can be. But if you're like me, I'm building my life on the rock, but I'm not perfect. Okay, so y'all are, and I'm not. Okay, all right, I'll deal with that. Pray about that when I get home. Aren't there areas of our life when we feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome in that. I'm being obedient. I'm following God. Praise the Lord. That's great. But, oh, this other thing, this outburst of anger that I find is a habit in my life. Oh, that's, that's not being obedient. Oh, some of the things I look at online, well, that's not being obedient. And what do we find? The, sh- the storms of life come, and what do they do? They shake our foundations, and they shake the very things that are not being built on the rock. They're not being built on God as our foundation. And I would submit to you today that it is great for those things to be shaken and even fall because they're no good anyway. And yet the things that we build on Christ and being obedient to Him, we're not talking about perfection, we're talking about obedience. Those are the things that withstand the storms of life. Those are the things that hold firm and true. Those are the things that cannot be taken away. We deal with Foundations, people in general deal with Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the Galatians and he says there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. He said the flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit is contrary to the flesh. He said the works of the flesh are obvious. He said there's sexual immorality, there's envy, there's drunkenness, there's anger, and there's brawling, there's debauchery. All of these things are what the flesh is about. And the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And what is, what is the war about? What is your foundation? That's what the war is about. What are you going to build your life on? The things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? And there's that battle that we, we all face. Even those who are not Christ followers are dealing with this because the Holy Spirit is revealing God's love to them. And they're, they're sitting there, they're trying to war and fight. And if we build on the flesh and with the flesh, it's going to crumble. If we follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a sure foundation. What about those who follow Christ? We see in the life of the disciples in Luke chapter number 9, the disciples were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Wow. The disciples, the 12, the amazing ones, right? And they're arguing with one another, hey, I think, I'm, I, think, I think I'm greater than you, and I think I'm going to be greater than you, and I think I've always been greater than you. Wow. And so Jesus hears them, and he knows their thoughts. He comes in and brings a little child. And he said, uh, the one who is the greatest is the one who's least. The one who takes the humble road. The one who doesn't puff themselves up, but instead actually humbles themselves and serves. That's the battle we face, isn't it? Because we would love to be served rather than serve. Or am I the only sinner in here? We, I mean, just natural. We just we gravitate toward serve me. 
and not toward let me serve you. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. Be the least. Don't, don't, don't aim for the high position. Aim actually for the low position. And there's that struggle. And when we exalt ourselves, the word says, we will be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, the Lord will exalt us. That struggle. We see the same struggle in the apostle Peter. Remember there right before Christ was crucified and, and he's saying, look, guys, it, it's going to get rough. I'm paraphrasing. It's going to get rough. It's going to be bad. And you guys are all going to leave. And what, is, what does Peter stand up and say? I will never leave you. I will never. I will never do it. I'm so good. And Jesus turns to him and said, you're actually going to deny me three times tonight. And that's exactly what happened. But then what did Peter do? After he had denied Christ, after it, it, it just dawned on him, that was the third time. Oh, and he repented with tears. And he said, oh, God, I'm sorry. I've built a portion of my life. I've built some things on this shaking, shifting sand that cannot hold anything. Oh, God, I repent. When we, you and I, recognize and realize that, that some portion of our life is on shifting sand, we're not living in obedience, the thing to do is then is to repent and say, God, I, I messed it up. I blew it. You're perfect. You told me what to do and what not to do. I, I wasn't listening. God, forgive me. Please, God, forgive me. I, I, I just dissolve all of that away. I give it up so that I can have what is secure on a foundation called Christ. We repent. That's the only immediate cure is repentance. Jesus said he came to preach repentance, repentance from our sins. We find that there are foundations that a country is built on. In 1861 to 1865, America experienced the deadliest war it has ever fought. And what happened in that is that the destruction of the fruit of the flesh was the accomplishment of that war. The sad thing is that the root is still in some people's hearts. The root of hatred. The root of dominance. The root of my way is still in people's hearts. We must legislate morality, but we cannot legislate the heart. That comes from a new birth. When God says, I'm taking out of you that, that heart of disobedience and I'm putting in you a heart of obedience. He described it as a heart of stone that he was going to take out of us and put into us a heart that is pliable movable, that God can shape and mold and cause to mature and grow that pliable heart, that pliable life, but it's on the rock. It is not the rock, but it is on the rock. And that is what stays secure. So how then do we live? We're there in Psalm 11. How then do we live? We see this battle of foundation, and we see that if it's built on sand, it's going to fall. If it's built on the rock, it's going to make it. How then do we live? Right there in verse number four, we recognize that the Lord is. 
The Lord is even in the middle of a virus. The Lord is even in the middle of turmoil. The Lord is even in the middle of people fighting against one another. The Lord is. And what is the Lord? He says there in verse number four, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everything on earth. His eyes examine them. He says, man, the Lord's on the throne. David starts off by saying, I put my trust on the Lord. The Lord is my refuge. Now he comes back and he says, the Lord's in his temple. He's on his holy throne. He's watching everything. He sees everything. And what he is seeing is the the shaking of foundations. And whatever is not built on the rock is going to fall. The question is, where are you? And where am I? Should it alarm us that the kingdoms of this world that are built on shifting sand are crumbling? Should that alarm us? Well, I would say yes and no. No, because we can predict that. It's prophesied. It's the reality. But if it's a kingdom that we're a part of, then yeah, we should be alarmed over it. If it's built on sin, it's going to crumble. If it's built on righteousness, it will withstand the storm because God's on his throne and he's watching. And when it says he examines them, that, that word examine is not just simply, hey, I'm, I'm looking and observing, but, it's, but it is a, he examines them. He's trying them. He's putting a test before them. And I would submit to us today that God is putting a test in front of us. I think we've been through a year of testing. What about you? And I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but I do know this, that God is watching and he's saying, church, this can be your finest hour because this is where the separation is made between shifting sand and rock. And this can be your finest hour. So we see that the Lord is, but verses 5 and 6, we see that the Lord examines. Again, the Lord examines that same word. He tests, he tries the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence he hates with a passion on the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur a scorching wind will be their lot we think of God as only love then when we read that he has a hatred we kind of freak out a little bit right because that doesn't sell books very well I can't believe I just said that out loud. When we are young, love and hatred are very opposites. But the more we become like Christ, the more we become like Christ. And we find that with God, love and hatred are not opposites. They are synonymous. They overlap one another. You cannot love without hatred. It is impossible to love fully without hatred. Can I submit to you that if someone comes into your house with a gun and says, I'm going to shoot your wife, you're going to offer them tea first? Hey, Let me love you. No, the first thing you're going to do is hate them. You can love them later. First thing you're going to do is hate them. 
Because you're going to go, oh, no, you're not. And you'll take a bullet for your wife. And you'll give a bullet to protect your wife. Well, I would. I don't know. I just, I don't know about you. I would. That's why God says, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. I see what I've created you for, that your life would be established and firm and secure. And I am so jealous about all those things that are trying to pull you over to the flesh, trying to pull you over to sin. I'm so jealous for you that I hate those things. I hate that sin. And it is God's love Hatred that sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for our sin. He loves you. He loves the world so much, and he hates sin so much that Jesus Christ went to the cross for my sin and for your sin. He took on our punishment. Verse number 7 concludes this. He says, the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, and the upright will see his face. The fact that God loves justice is the reason why Jesus went to the cross. So that the just penalty for sin would be meted out, but not on you and not on me, but on Jesus Christ. He is the substitution for our sin. He took the punishment so we would not have to. He took the pain so we would not have to. It is the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, him shedding his perfect blood because our lives were anything but perfect. And he says, I love justice. I must punish sin because I promised it. I said it, and God cannot lie. And so if he must punish sin, there must be a punishment for sin, and that's what Christ did on the cross. Jesus Christ died for the sin of the entire world, and yet it's kind of like uh, someone handing you a check signed, but you never cash it. Is that the experience that you have had in your life that you understand, you get it up here, yeah, okay, Christ on the cross, there's something about sin, paying the price, okay, okay, but you never cash that check personally. In other words, you never accept what Christ has done for you. He did it, but if you never accept that gift, then it doesn't do you any good. You must accept it. That's what Jesus said being born again is all about, where we go from I'm living my life in the flesh, building on shifting sand until we go, okay, God, that isn't working. Please forgive me. Please take out of me that heart leaning toward disobedience, bent on disobedience. And give me that heart that I could love you and live for you and serve you. And that's what God does. That's called being born again. And he promised that anyone who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. In 1836, there was a cabinet maker. He was not, as a boy, raised in the church. His parents owned a pub. They didn't go to church. There was no religious training in his home. But at the age of 15... He accepted Christ. He became a cabinet maker, had been making cabinets for a number of years. He later became a pastor at the age of 55 and pastored one church for 21 years. But now he's much younger. He's, in his, he's 39 years old, and he has already written several hymns. 
And they, some of them have actually been published. Edward Mote is his name. And he writes, One morning it came into my mind as I went to labor to write a hymn on the gracious experience of a Christian. The gracious experience of a Christian. And this is the hymn that he wrote. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When we come to that reality, that's when all of a sudden we recognize the wind is blowing, the rain is beating, and anything not built on the rock is going to crumble. That can be great news, and that can be horrible news. If it's an aspect of your life, kiss it goodbye, thank God for the storm, and don't build there again. But if it is your whole life, you're in trouble. But aren't you thankful that we have a God who rescues people who are in trouble? We have a God who reaches down and says, if you'll just call out to me, I will rescue you. The apostle Peter again realized this when he was literally walking on water, but then all of a sudden got afraid, started to slip. And what happens? Jesus reaches out his hand and says, nope, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to rescue you. Have you allowed Christ, asked Christ to rescue you? Your very life, you can do that today. But Christian, those who are followers of Christ, maybe there's a portion of your life and, and through 2020, you just went, man, that thing got washed away and you might be grieving it. I would submit to you, rejoice. Be glad that God's on the throne. Be glad that he is in charge. He's under control. He's examining everything happening. He sees everything that's going on and he's working out his plan in our life. I'd rather my mistakes be washed away now, the undergirding of that, all the shifting sand, let it crumble now. I don't want to face that problem on judgment day. Let it go now. Kiss it goodbye and praise God for the storm because in Him we find security. In Him we find a sure foundation. In Him we know all things work together for my good because I love God and I'm called according to His purpose. Let's pray together today, this morning, okay? Father, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give us. Thank you, God, that you are a God of compassion and love. And Lord, you're also a God of security. Your name is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Your name is Creator. Your name is Provider. Your name is Peace. Lord, thank you that you are God, and there's no one beside you. There's no rival to you. And Lord, you allow things to be shaken so that we will understand mistakes. We will understand what is being built on shifting sand. But God, thank you that in Christ we have a sure foundation in which all the things around us are maybe shaking, maybe falling. But Lord, you said, if we build on the rock, we will withstand the storm. Lord, we have withstood the storm of 2020 and whatever transpires in 2021. God, you are our source of security. 
And so we rejoice in you, God. We rejoice in you. In the mighty name of Jesus.